0: good morning folks welcome back to the Folkcraft arrival podcast where we're discussing all things self-sufficiency learning making doing creating uh learning to craft and make things and and do things for your own life i know it's been a few weeks since i've posted an episode apologize about that uh, I have a few recorded now and uh, just waiting on me to take the time to edit them and release them. So over the next couple of weeks, you should be getting a new episode. And this week's was a really good one. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I'm talking with Tristan Gooley, who's fairly well known for his uh, his work and his uh, books on natural navigation. I know I've had his books on my uh, to-read list for A couple of years now and just frankly haven't made the time to track one of the books down or or get him in so i i finally saw him on the shelf here at my local library and uh checked out his book the lost art of reading nature signs and loved it it made me think about the natural landscape around me which i mean sounds bad I, i i've spent a lot of time outside but um spent a lot of time in the outdoors, but still, it opened my eyes to some of the possibilities and and just to what thinking logically about the landscape around you can do. Highly recommend his books. I know it went from my to-read list, now it's on my to-own list, so at some point, I intend to own it. Really excellent book, though, and oddly enough, you know, for all the time I've spent outdoors and um, in nature, I find it odd, and the types of books I read, I find it odd that I've never had anyone explain the phases of the moon to me before. I also find it odd that I've never really paid enough attention to notice these things by myself. It doesn't say a whole lot for me. But the, just the simple fact that, uh, you know, your, your crescent is on different sides of the moon, whether it's waxing or waning, um, I've never correlated the two. I don't know. Like I said, it doesn't say a whole lot for my observational skills and my awareness of the, of the natural world around me. But it's... Yeah, it was eye-opening to to read a book by someone who who is paying attention and logically deducing things from the landscape around him. So, uh, really, really enjoyed the book. Like I said, highly recommend it. And Tristan was fortunately willing to come on and chat. So, and I'm very, very grateful that he was willing to come on. Uh, I think it's a great conversation, and hopefully, it introduces some of you to the uh, well, to some of the concepts that he uses while navigating and uh, piques your interest a little bit. If you enjoy spending time outdoors, I highly recommend you learn a little more and, and delve a little bit deeper into the natural navigation thing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there to learn. I'll, I'll be checking his book out come summer again, for sure, just to kind of refresh myself and to um, take a look at some of the signs which aren't as apparent during the winter. But uh, I, I also found this episode Interesting, because having moved to a new landscape, uh, I'm having to kind of readjust my mental map of my surroundings. Um, for almost every place I've ever lived, the mountain ranges have run north-south, and you'd have the ridges coming off of those going kind of a generally east-west direction. And not so here. Um, so I know just being out of the landscape, uh, it it it's made me... Um, I don't want to say it's challenged me, but I, I've noticed that my perception of what north and south should be has been based uh, on general landscape terrain around me and it has changed moving here. And so my, my perception of cardinal directions is a little bit off, especially since also too the sky has been cloudy almost all winter long um, and I'm used to being able to see the stars almost every night. And cause I, I lived in a high desert environment and now I'm in kind of the Pacific Northwest and you know, it's interesting. You lose perspective of the stars and you lose your, your landscape orientation. And then all of a sudden things just don't quite line up how your mental, how you mentally expect them to. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested in exploring the area around me and, and learning more about the clues it has to offer over this upcoming year. Um, there was also a quote I heard this week that kind of reminded me of this conversation. Um, it was something like "substituting nuance for novelty is what experts do." That's why they don't get bored. And that one, when I heard it, was was credited to Angela Duckworth, uh, author of, of Grit. Uh, but that that quote made me for sure think of this conversation with Tristan and 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 how our conversation we were to kind of we kind of chat about you know pursuing expeditions and adventures for the. Adventure And for doing something out there and exciting and thrilling and kind of not taming it back, but taking a different approach and uh, how he he's kind of moved into doing more local, uh, low-key walks with more focus on connecting with nature and noticing the things around him. So uh, really like the idea behind that quote and thought it was applicable to this episode, so... Um, anyways, uh, before we start talking this, this episode will found any show notes or links to Tristan, his books, his social media, things like that, um, will be found over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash 31. And with that, let's, uh, yeah, let's go jump into the episode. I started out by asking Tristan kind of to define natural navigation for us.
1: Uh, natural navigation is uh, the art of finding our way using nature and it, it's meaning for me and for a lot of people who get into into the art uh, it, it it evolves so it starts with very simple practical methods finding north using the north star or knowing that the sun is due south in the middle of the day yeah but but then it, it, it it's it's a much much richer subject than that and and my work has led me to the the viewpoint where pretty much everything outdoors is part of a our map. So every plant, every animal, every cloud is trying to tell us something. So for me, natural navigation is the art of being able to read the signs and clues in nature. Mm, so a lot of it's uh, just paying
0: attention to what's around you, and then asking what what it's telling you.
1: Yes, exactly, and it starts uh, uh, as I say, very it's practical deduction uh oh the trees have changed why have they changed um yeah uh, and, and that leads to my viewpoint now as i say is that everything is a sign and also that everything is connected so nothing nothing is random in the outdoors uh, environment and everything is trying to tell us something and if we give it a bit of curiosity it then uh paints a picture of where we are and what's going on around us
0: for you what was the uh what was the starting point what what brought you to natural navigation why did you end up delving into this
1: i i uh, as a kid i used to really enjoy small journeys and i the the journeys got bigger and as part of that process i i identified navigation as as the art that was going to allow me to shape the journeys and that that i think is uh i do remember very clearly in my teens and early 20s thinking well i've done a you know four thousand foot mountain let's do a five or six thousand foot and it kept on going up but then what i found i went up uh, mount kilimanjaro in a break from university and there you 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 are by law forced to have a guide and follow certain routes it's good for employment and it's good for safety so there are good reasons for it but i did find it very frustrating so what 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 happened was i really enjoyed shaping tiny journeys and then bigger and bigger journeys but there came a point where i realized that actually the the big journeys unless you focus only on one area area and become an aviation or a sailing or a climbing pioneer, you're, you're pretty much hemmed in. So that's when I turned everything on its head and said, the excitement I felt as a child, I felt I could get back by, by undertaking much smaller journeys, but, but using nature as, as my map and compass. And that was a a bit of a tipping point in my twenties.
0: And what was the kind of the basic, uh, where where did you start with with natural navigation
1: well it was it was um i think i can remember sort of seeing the north star and and uh i was pretty young at the time but I, c- I can remember a process which a lot of people who who get into natural navigation now have a similar process and i love it when i hear about it because i can feel the penny dropping and it's this very yeah. simple sort of process which is that when, you, when you're taught a natural navigation method for the first time, you check it against an instrument. In my case, it was a compass. These days, it might well be a smartphone. But you, somebody says, there's the Big Dipper, there's the North Star, and you might get a compass or a smartphone out and go, oh, wow, the star method works. But the, the <laughs> penny drop sort of moment, which can happen quite early, is when you realise that if if whatever you're using doesn't tell you that that's north and there's a problem with the thing in your hand, not a, not a problem in the... In the uh, in the heavens, as it were. So, so that, yeah, that's that's been the the, the sort of direction of travellers when you realise that actually, I mean, a watch is a good example. You know, I, I get lots of lots of questions and emails, and I try and tackle it in my books about how, when we talk about midday, are we talking about twelve on our watch, or or sometimes there's changes at summertime in different different territories. And yeah. I say to people, you know, all instruments are just trying to have trying to give us a, re, a reasonable estimate of what's going on in the natural world. So in the middle of the day is when the sun is highest in the sky, it's halfway between sunrise and sunset. Your watch is quite often, you know, doing an okay job at estimating that, but it's not it doesn't know. And the, and the way I really ram this point home is, is saying, you know, if your watch tells you it's the middle of the day and you're watching the sunset, which one are you going to trust?
0: <laughs> yeah, that would bring it home and make you question it a little bit, wouldn't it? Yeah. So it does sound like you've done uh, quite a few rather exciting adventures around the world, uh, quite a few different expeditions. I know you mentioned a few of them in your book that I read, and then I was glancing over your website and listening to uh, the TEDx talk you gave. How does the excitement with that compare with the excitement of, of learning to navigate on a smaller scale locally? Cause you, you were, you were just talking, you kind of scaled things back and you focused on the navigation side of things instead of looking for always bigger and bigger adventures, but you've done some of the bigger ones and, it just seems like it would be a little tame almost a lot, a lot more logical deduction, but a little tamer and you're, you're getting different sides of an experience at that point.
1: Yes. And, and the, what I found uh, for me personally, and it's true for quite a lot of people who, who have been described as adventurous is that the ambition, the hunger, the desire, whatever you want to call it doesn't, doesn't go away, but it changes shape. And, and, and for me, it's it's been quite sort of fortunate that, um, I don't know whether it's testosterone or age or whatever it is, but you know, I, w- I was running around like an idiot at times and, and doing doing stuff which does seem a bit daft to me at times now. But I was learning stuff all the time. <laughs> I, but the for me, and I think for a lot of outdoors people, there's a there's a sort of arc I followed, which has been physical to philosophical. So the drive is 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 as good as it's ever been but it's i want to know what's going on i want to understand and i want to share that and uh that's that's quite often easier to do by really understanding things on a manager manageable scale i mean yeah you can get you know you can get a rough idea of a of let's say a, a, a u.s state if you if you live there um all your life but then if you go into a national park the ranges will show you stuff that you've perhaps never seen before. If you go to one particular species there and maybe find an entomologist who's been studying one particular insect type for thirty years, you have got more to learn. But you can't you can't expect to have that level of expertise spread over the whole the whole of a, a region or a territory. So what I take yeah. in my, my books is I is I come at that that very simple philosophy that everything outdoor is a clue and a sign and part of our map. And I come at that sort of, you know, quite hard and determined and, and in an excited way from a particular angle so yeah yeah my, my book the lost art of reading nature science is, is, a, is a good you know generally sort of walking hiking type sort of perspective but it, it's it's taking an overview and, and introducing people to everything from the the stars to the the weather plants and animals but then in other books i come from a different perspective so in how to read water it's not about being on the water but it is but it is about looking at water so it could be a could be a, a, a lake a pond or, 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 even a puddle. But, but the idea is, you know, we're taking this philosophy into, into one area and focusing on it, you know, in quite a, quite a sort of manageable, but, uh, but intense way. Yeah. Um, that does kind
0: of make sense too, when you're talking about moving from the physical to the philosophical, um, and just trying to learn deeper about what's around you. I've done a lot of hiking, climbed a lot of peaks, um, Done a lot of trail running. Uh, I did an ultra marathon a few years ago, wow. and at, at this point, a I don't have time to devote to things like that anymore. Not with young kids. Um, so most of our outdoor time, we refocus. And yeah, we're not going to end up climbing that peak. So instead, for me lately, it's been foraging, learning, learning more about the plants around me, and what I can use them for, um, edibility wise so i've kind of i guess undergone the same thing just with a different focus. Is learning yeah i have to tame my my experiences down a little bit and refocus so that i'm still getting something out of it and still learning and still enjoying my outdoor time
1: yes i mean it's um for me it doesn't feel tamer in a physical sense or however we're going to gauge that whether it's sort of threat to life or, or feeling you know that you're close to the edge um then that is undeniably true but it's uh, the way I sort of think of it is, you, you 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 know, your mind is is close to exploding instead of your thighs. You know, it's it's um yeah, it can be a very intense experience. I mean, foraging is a really really good example. There are lots of better known and sort of better established um, uh, outdoor crafts like like foraging, the natural navigation. That's kind of what I'm doing now is trying to get the you know the popular understanding that this is. I mean, foraging is fantastic, but natural navigation, you can actually practice in a lot of places where you can't forage. Uh, I don't have a bad word to say about foraging. I think anything that that gets us out there and, and engaging. But you can't, you know, the second you, it's not even, you don't even have to walk out your front door. When you choose which side of bed to get out of, if you have that option, you know, that's navigating as far as I'm concerned. So there are only certain fundamental things we do as human beings. We eat, drink, sleep, and navigate you know every, everything else is pretty much optional but um so so yeah that that's where i'm coming from is that you know on a good day and and today happened to be one of those days where i was going out and noticing patterns in the snow that that i hadn't seen before and that's you know that is that does feel quite intense you know it definitely gets the synapses going and uh, and lights something it's i if i'm really honest about the about this area i think there's, there's a there's a positivity to a juvenile attitude, and we've all been young people at, at, at once. So it's I'm, I'm not saying it in a in a negative way, but I do think it's that it's that concept of you know when you're when you're 18 years old, you need you need a so you need 10,000 feet and the view from it to go wow. And the Again. idea is near the end of our life, just sort of noticing the 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 way a a plant is growing and and perhaps it's flower and and what that means and the sign within it can give a similar, similar sense of profound experience. Hmm.
0: Love it. Yes. And we all need a little bit more profound experience in our, our lives. And it's uh, much easier to get just catching a sunset than it is trying to climb a peak somewhere. So um, do you mind if we go ahead and, and just kind of break it down into the, like the basic principles and ideas that you teach? Um, if, if, I, if you were in an unfamiliar landscape, where would you start looking around and, and how would you go about breaking things down?
1: Well, the way I teach and the way I practice is, is start at the top. Uh, and I learned that the, the hard way. Um, it's, it's very easy to catch a glimpse of the sun or the stars and take that for granted. And if you've got your natural navigation hat on, it's very tempting to think, oh, I'm going to try and find some lichens on that rock. But the the sky changes the the whole time. And if you've got a fantastic, let's say, constellation above you, you need to kind of bag that. So that's the very first thing I do is I'll I'll get my north, south, east, west sorted with as much help from sun, moon or stars as I can. Then I'll work down generally. I'll be be looking for for weather signs, looking at the relationship between clouds and landscape and that sort of thing. Uh, And then the landscape will start to choose the order i'm noticing things in i'm I'm looking at broad landform shapes uh uh where you know high ground low ground valleys uh rivers that sort of thing and depending on the terrain certain features will will fight their way to the top of that that sort of pecking order i mean in in the lost art art of reading nature signs i i use an acronym i've invented called you know sorted you you look at the, the shape of the land and then the ologies, what the soil and the rocks and everything else are, are telling you. And then, and then the roots, then tracks, you know, what what animals and people are, are giving us information about what they've done in the past. Uh, and then edges, and then details, which is what the rest of the book is, is about is just getting into that, that micro stuff, which is, um, you know, for de- depending whether you're into it or not can be, um, <laughs> yeah, huge fun or, or, you know, quite a lot to take on if you're new to the idea.
0: I loved the book. Um, I I really... It got me thinking about things. Um, I've spent most of my entire life outdoors. Um, I got my degree in wildlife biology and did a bunch of field work for a while. So I was always working outdoor all summer long. And recreation-wise, that's always where I witnessed the outdoors. We always lived in small towns right next to the National Forest. So I think a lot of it, the stuff I did was just subconscious or second nature. I never really felt lost, but I honestly couldn't tell you what I was looking at. And I think your book is making me start to question and think about why something is going on and why that way is South. But it's, it's like I said, it's it's something that was always running, I think, subconsciously for me. And I never really sat set down and really thought about what the clues were that I was taking in and, and what was actually going on. I used to test my wife when we were dating, we'd be out hiking and I'd ask her which direction the car was. And that's not really a a, like cardinal direction, but it's a more immediate, like, what do you need to know at the moment? Um, She comes from the city and was never very good at pointing out where the car was when we were in the middle of a hike, what direction it was from us. Um, where do you suggest a, a beginner start with? Like, what's the one or two things they you would suggest learning first?
1: Uh, I I think little exercises like that are are good. That pointing one is an interesting one, and I do that occasionally on on courses I run or pre COVID. Yeah, you you lead somebody for a couple of hours and then say to them, you know, point to where you park the car or something like that, and it, it gives you a feel for where they're they're at. But but actually yeah. the, the the fastest way in is is just two two or three times a day if you can if you're if, if you're immersed in the outdoors you can do this dozens of times a day but just ask yourself you know you know which way am i looking and and use your environment to answer that question and it's unlikely in the early days you're going to be using natural navigation as your primary reference so what i'm always suggesting early on is that that it's a it's a sort of sandwich layer before you get to whatever you're using so you might be staring at a smartphone or stuff like that and i just sort of i just encourage people to say let nature give you the answer and it because you've got another reference anyway, it doesn't matter if you're wrong. And and we learn tons yeah. with Yeah, there's no you know, you can be on your own and get it wrong ten times. Nobody's nobody's gonna, you know, make fun of that. It's it's so that's you can just you don't actually funny enough even have to head outside. You can you can be on the tenth floor of a of an urban block and look out the window and say, Which way am I looking? And the the sun the sun can give you some clues, but it, it gets even more interesting when you can't see the sun. And that, that's an interesting point, because I, I think a really important point is to get people over the hump of thinking this is all about necessity. I don't think anybody will ever really get the, the fun and the love for natural navigation if they think this is just a sort of slightly sort of hippie way of giving me answers I can get in a faster way somewhere else. Because, you know, that's there's truth in that sometimes. You know, a, a smartphone and a digital map or a paper map can give you certain bits of information that, that it would take you longer to find out by looking at nature but we can, you know, we can microwave a meal or we can cook it or we can get a fast food burger, you know, (laughs) there are are options there. And, you know, the fastest way to get calories is not the most interesting. So the fastest way to get information is not always giving us the richest experience. And that's, you know, I very rarely argue for natural navigation as a practical necessity. Um, I'd say, yeah, it's probably... You know if I had to guess sort of 90% of the interesting parts of natural navigation comes come because we choose to, to notice things. And that, that remains true even when nature's given you the answer. So a good, good example could be by studying their tree shape, it gives you three different ways of finding north-south. You've, you've got your direction then but but th- what I'm always encouraging people is don't that's not the moment you switch off. you switch on you may, you have the information you need. But if you switch off at that point, you, you don't notice the, the animal track, you know, several yards away or the, so the second we have the information we need, it gives us a sense of freedom because we're no longer confused. We have what we need to to be practical, but that's yep. a license to be more curious, to notice more, not to notice less.
0: Hmm. It's all about enriching your experience, the time that you do have outside and give you, give you a little more observation on the natural world around you then.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, I again that, that kind of arc is um, and when I was planning some of my biggest journeys, I was I was doing some training with a a type of pilot called a ferry pilot, who's the only person who could give me the, the, the skills I needed. And these, these are the guys, I don't know if you come across them, but um uh, who who deliver aircraft or move aircraft. There's an aircraft on one continent, they need it in another for whatever reason. Then this person gets paid to jump in and fly. And it's quite quite sort of edge of the envelope stuff their their life insurance probably costs quite a lot and um, <laughs> and <laughs> this is many years ago and the, one of these pilots sort of said to me you know make sure you stop and smell the flowers and i was like thinking i've got sort of 17 aviation checklists here i've got to do this i've got to work out how to make that happen i've got to get to this place by this time and, what is this person i genuinely didn't know what they were talking about at the time and it, it was only when things calmed down a little bit i went yeah, I get it now. Actually, there is no point doing a journey if you don't notice anything <laughs> along the way. I mean, there really isn't. Um, yeah. You're right. Journeys are all
0: about the experience and about seeing and learning and experiencing something new. So I um, so was kind of from a beginner's perspective. How about for someone that is fairly comfortable with the outdoors? They're used to kind of keeping track of the sun. They know which way is generally north, south. Uh, they're familiar with finding north using constellations are there any slightly higher level techniques that you would suggest them taking a look at and trying to learn
1: yes there are a couple of things uh i'd recommend the first is is explain to yourself any changes in your environment so you you could walk north for for three hours and again not take note of a load of stuff but over those three hours there's a very high probability there'll be some some dramatic and subtle um landscape changes and you could just suddenly see there's a patch where the trees have changed and you, you just got to explain to yourself why have they changed you know again nothing is random so is it forestry work where they cleared you know a couple of decades ago has there been a, a storm if, if it's a storm why has only that patch you know been uh, you know destroyed by the storm um is it is it none of those things is it suddenly there's a load of water collecting have the rocks changed and if the rocks have changed everything else is just about to change so that's that's a sort of broad catch all thing you know if anything in your your landscape changes try and explain it to yourself and even if even if you can't get a perfect answer i mean i got i got an email yesterday from a friend i haven't seen for a few years and they were saying we've got these three woodlands near where i live and i can't explain them at all and because of you know, locked down. I couldn't get anywhere near him and, and stuff like that. So he he, he sent through some, some maps and other stuff and, and we were trying to solve the puzzle together. And in the end, my my best guess was, I think it's to do with the Iron Age hill forts near where you live because these woodlands all seem to be on the southern bank of these hill forts. And and he said, oh, I thought it was to do with the railway. My friend thinks it's, they did some digging into the hill and they used the, the woodland to cover up the scarring on the hills. So I said to him, well, there's, there's an easy way we, we, we're going to, you know, uh, get close to solving this. Go and have a look at the species, the smaller species in the in the woods. And if you see any of this list I I sent to him, I, I'm more likely to be right because they're ancient woodland indicators. So, as you'll know, you know, natural woodland that hasn't been disturbed has a has a different species collection uh, in in, yeah. in, the, in the ground area than, than woodland that's uh, been been felled or worked on. So that's that's what I would suggest is every single time you see see anything change, if you suddenly see or hear birds that you haven't for for you know a couple of hours. There'll be a reason, and it'll be a, a, a habitat reason, and that is part of your map. You might be just about to hit some water, um, or there might be a food source that's, that that explains it. The other the other thing which can you can do from beginner all the way to the most advanced level, and I'm I'm doing things like this myself um, fairly regularly, my own sort of version of it. But is if you can hand over a navigational responsibility to someone else. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter. It can be ten minutes or it can be ten hours. But you then have to get out a pencil and paper and write down what you've done. Because that—that I mean, it's—I don't recommend going out there and doing that for ten hours because your you, your brain will melt. It's it's so. <laughs> uh, but you're. You know, sometimes you've got a, a a very nice straight run, and you you walk sort of three hours up to a ridge line. So, but but more yeah. often than not, you're twisting and turning, and every single time, there's particularly if the sun's not out, every time you're twisting and turning, you having to tell from a a tree root or a you know gathering of twigs and leaves. You know, w- you know, and the the it can be done, but uh, you you if you're not dictating the navigation, you have to be allowed to dictate the pace because if somebody's trying to you know move on, <laughs> it's it's too much. <laughs>
0: Uh, things like that you would you wouldn't really notice how many things you actually did until
1: you had to sit there and write them all down that could be yeah and i i really encourage people to think out loud whether you're you're doing your own thing or on courses and things like that i uh that's why i I always say to people think out loud you know you just mustn't be embarrassed because nobody you know i'm i'm making mistakes the whole time i'm learning from them things like that and uh i can even be spotted talking to myself in the woods you know sort of going Okay, we've, got, <laughs> we've got this algae on the north side of the, this tree here but that doesn't quite tally with with the message i'm i'm getting from the uh the wind and the clouds. so what's going on that that sort of thing and and that helps us remember and learn and process and things
0: yeah that's i was about to ask when you when you were talking about how you're still uh learning and and how you run this exercise sometimes how did you learn A lot of these techniques? Was it simply a matter of deduction or did you pick them up from other sources? Because things like North Star using Constellation, I mean, that's fairly common folk knowledge. Uh, The sun, yeah, that's fairly common. Everyone for millennia has kind of kept track of the sun and known that it was south at midday. But some of these, I wouldn't say, are as common or maybe people just haven't sat down and thought about them. So how do you still go about learning and is it just this question or do you have, I don't know, older references, you're going back and learning a technique that was, you know, known yeah, by. I'm not,
1: I'm not fussy. I, I want to learn and I'll learn any way that works. And quite a lot of it is just walking by local landscapes, noticing trends and then standing on the shoulders of giants. So um, the, the example I, I, I give because it illustrates this, this sort of, holistic process quite well is ivy because for years i noticed ivy growing in and there were definite patterns there and there was definitely a relationship with light and every time i thought i'd kind of pinned it down and gone okay i know how ivy behaves i can now use ivy as a compass it would it would throw a curveball and i just wouldn't you know i wouldn't understand what it was doing so at that point i i have to stand on the shoulders of giants and i found some botanical academic research that explained that ivy grows towards the light Sorry, away from the light for about ten years, and then towards the light. And this is a really good example mm-hmm. of my kind of work process because the, the the researchers doing this work could not care less about natural navigation; they've possibly never even come across the concept. But they're yeah. interested, yeah, they're interested in how the species they're studying, you know, lives and behaves. And so, positive phototropism, growing towards the light; negative phototropism, growing away from the light. These are good sort of um, botanical, um, ecological sort of concepts and And so the work had been done there, and I was able to kind of use that to make sense of my observations and sometimes it flows the other way um, and I'm not the, the re- one of the really interesting fun things for me is it, is i'm in this country I don't know if you use the expression there, but I'm a bit of a magpie, which means just going around collecting little bits um, but it, it so i I could be reading a, a a work of fiction and it's just it just talks about how somebody. You know, got from A to B and it might not even be in a sort of wild or outdoors context, but it just gives me an idea and I take that outdoors and I play with it a bit, then I encounter a problem and I try and get past that, you know, almost all, almost all the techniques incorporate some elements of my outdoor experience and some further research in some area. It can be an ancient story. It can be the latest, um, you know, research papers. I'm really not fussy. So long as I solve the mystery and, and through that, I'm allowed to sort of kind of share that through my, through my books and courses, then, then that's, that's the kind of happy process for me.
0: Yeah. That's I, I, the only thing I see is most people aren't going to come across natural navigation signs in research papers. Most people aren't reading research papers. So is that something you're deliberately turning towards in order to answer a, a question?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm not, I'm not reading them, uh, for fun. I mean, I may, there's some interesting when, when somebody does a good sort of collating job and they get maybe 20 of the best academic papers about tree roots together, then I'll get amongst that because I know, again, it comes back to this, this principle that nothing's random. So these people researching and writing about tree roots are trying to make forestry more, um, effective and profitable and, 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 you know, so, so there they're trying to work out why do trees fall down how do we stop so many trees being lost in a storm and roots are obviously a huge part of that again they couldn't care less about natural navigation but the second they're they're doing experiments as they've done in in scandinavia where they're literally trying to winch trees over and then studying how the roots <laughs> and that that is um, yeah. My, yeah my lens my my way of seeing the world just picks that stuff up uh, and i go oh that explains that's why yeah um I mean, there's a. I've I've used some uh, some forestry re- research from New England, which which helped make sense of some bumps I, I was seeing in the forest floor. Uh, but yes, it's it's you know the way I apply techniques is quite often just from my own personal experience outdoors. But the yeah. the the root, uh, I I like figure the pun there, but the kind of root, the thing that underpins it is quite often pure science, and I don't write about anything that I can't explain in conventional scientific terms, because I don't... I mean, a good example is something like dowsing, which is hugely popular with lots of people. And I'm open-minded, so I never say something, you know, does or doesn't work unless I know. I I will leave it on the, you know, I'm open to that idea sort of shelf. Uh, But that's something that I don't really... I haven't found any science that can kind of back it up, so I would never propose it. So all of natural navigation is not... It can feel quite sort of... You know, when you're really in the zone, it does feel like uh, I wouldn't use necessarily the word spiritual here. But it does feel like you're so, so in tune that you're experiencing something that, that maybe not everybody is at every moment. Um, yeah. But that is all that you get to that point by going, these are the building blocks. This is why they work. You know, this this um, this flower is is telling me that it rained in the last two days in the desert, for example. Yes, that's it really does keep coming
0: back down to being aware of what's going on around you. Just, just broad sense awareness. Um, but then you also mention specific plants and whatnot. You're at then point, that point you're talking, you need to have a pretty decent understanding of the plant life and, and what they actually need. So if you, if you see a flower and you realize it only exists on the sunny side of slopes or something like that, you need to you need to know enough about that plant to know that it only exists on the sunny side of slopes.
1: Yeah. Yes. No. Because uh, sorry to jump in there, but I think it's I do think it's quite a key point. People, I think, are sometimes put off nature in, in general and natural navigation because they think it is an identification challenge. And in certain situations, if there is one particular you know in 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 one of the books i talk about you know how you can find precious metals using very particular plants and that's but that's i'm sort of making a slightly extreme point there in itself but the principles are the same the world over and you know all organisms you know all plants and all animals have a relationship with food water warmth slash light um yeah and and so what, what I encourage people to do is actually spot the patterns before you even get involved in too many names. I use names in the books because I think people like the authority of knowing this actually, you know, this actual example, you know, proves the point. But quite yeah. often when I'm using an exact species, I'm not suggesting people go and look for that exact species. So, um, you know, the, there's a, a rush species here that, that tells me when my boots are about to get wet and then my feet are about to get wet. um, the same, the same, a a similar plant in, in, in the same sort of family will work over large areas in the, in the US. But there it's, it's a case of, you know, when your foot goes squelch and you feel the water pouring into your boot, have a look at the plants around you. And you do that three times and our brain is brilliant at this kind of (laughs) association. Uh, And so lots and lots and lots of people can experience this this pattern identification without having a species name next to it. I mean, there are lots of expeditions I've done where I've used lichens, which to this day, I have no idea what they're called. So I just spot that in La Palma, in the the Canary Islands, very, very wild, rugged landscape, sort of igneous volcanic rocks, quite hard going. And I was crossing those in the the afternoon mists and um, just noticed a pale gray, green lichen was on the Northwest side of the rocks. And it, you know, I was checking that against the sun in the morning and then, um, and then I was able to use it for several hours. And to this day, I have no idea what that lichen called. And that's, you know, it's, I have a stronger relationship with that lichen than probably not a few people who know its name. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's true.
0: I guess that does make sense. Uh, I was thinking back while you were talking to a lot of the habitat work and, and, um, I told you I was doing field work as a biologist for a while and I'm fairly familiar with plant communities and plants, um, so I would be out and yeah, you'll look at, at the landscape around you'd be like, okay, yeah, there's this grass growing over there. That means we're on a high dry slope. Um, uh, that's not where this animal is going to be. So we need to, you know, go this way or that, that tree, we only grow on the South facing slopes. We're doing goshawk surveys. We're going to need to be over in the heavily timbered stuff on the North slope. And it's not really something that you need to know the species name on um yeah there are some just some visual like that that's looks like a wet spot there's you know there's this plant there it's going to be seasonally flooded every spring and you don't really need to know the name you just need to know that it looks different than all the other grasses around it
1: absolutely and that that then leads you into clues about other things and this this is the you know it's not random and it's connected so uh I've, I've just finished a book that's coming out in a in a couple of months uh, about the weather. Um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning the name, the, the secret world of weather. Uh, and and in that, I I got an email from a, a local tracking expert. Um, we worked together a few times, and he's popped up in one or two of my books before. And he said, "There's a place I lead groups when I'm teaching them tracking, and there are two local hills." And the um, the fallow deer will always be on one one of those two hills, but he's been studying them for years and years and years, and he can't quite work out exactly where they're going to be, sort of lying up on these these hills, and it can have a huge impact on his student's experience of the day. Um, yeah. Now he's a, he's a tracking expert. I, I do some tracking, but it's it's a, it, it's one of the many sort of pieces at the edge of the kind of natural navigation puzzle. It's, um, so I, I wasn't there to sort of teach him about tracking, but to, to bring my understanding of landscape and um, sort of very sort of niche w- wind and weather clues into it. And you know, I wouldn't say we entirely solved the puzzle, but it was my take on it, together with the information he was giving me was was we looked at we looked at plants, we looked at hill shape, we looked at everything, and we we reckoned that the the, the wind was carrying scents from a car park um, and the the deer. Mm that's you know if the deer can kind of smell the things they're worried about they're, they're less you know it's true of all prey animals if they're if they're blindsided in any way they know there's danger out there but they don't know where it is they, they get sort of jumpy and less predictable and things like that so they'll quite yeah. often yeah they'll quite often go to high ground where you know they've got the the threat they've got a good sort of scent of it so that that was in in that particular example we were looking at the shape of the hill tree species lower plant species um uh, and the very, very niche flows of, of wind through gaps in, in in the woodland and and between the and between the hills themselves. I mean, I discovered a type of wind that I must have felt a thousand times, but I'd never actually, you know, tried to put down on paper. And, and a lot of a lot of my work is is common sense with hindsight, but people can go literally a whole lifetime and not see it. Even not notice yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you only pick something up like that when you're really trying to understand something uh when you're trying to figure out uh something like this problem here where you were trying to figure out why a deer was on a specific hill hill. um is is most of this still conscious effort for you at this point or is it kind of running
1: subconscious It's, it's a really interesting question and i've i've done some research and written a book in this area because something odd happened where i started to sense direction without asking my brain to work it out yeah. Um, which I think a lot of people do with the sun, but it was happening to me in quite strange ways. As in, I was just driving along thinking about something else and I started to sense direction from a tree that I wasn't even focusing on. And I yeah. thought, what, what on earth's going on there? And then around about the same time, I, I sort of realised that I could sense direction from certain star constellations. I mean, anyone who's got a lot of experience using the Big Dipper and the North Star will quite quickly get to that point where they get a sense of the northern sky. They're not yeah. They're not consciously going, ah, that is within one degree of due north. They're just sort of going, well, I sort of know that's the northern sky. And and one of the ways you can tell your brain is starting to automate things and do stuff is that it becomes harder to explain. So if somebody's been out every evening for for 100 days with good skies and walking using the stars, and, and then you sort of ask them, how do you know which way you're going? They'll pause and sort of not be able to tell you because it's it's gone so deep. It's very hard to, once you're past the age of childhood to explain how you ride a bike. Somebody who's yeah. taken their driving test can explain it. Somebody who's been driving for thirty years can't explain it very well. So, in a sense, that goes on for me all the time. So, there's a conscious level where I'm sort of going, "Ooh, that's a strange shape. What does it mean?" And then there there is this 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 sort of subconscious analysis of things going on. A really good example, and this is this is quite a good sort of dividing line in outdoors versus indoors people is outdoors people quite quickly get used to the bird alarm calls. So, once you're used to the idea that birds alarming means something's changing the environment even if that something is you our brain just clicks back happily sort of twenty thousand years and that's it you know I, I i find it impossible now not to automatically sense something's changed when i hear even a couple of bird alarm calls whereas somebody who's you know new new to that sort of thing and it's really not complex as i'm, as I'm sure you're well aware but that's the sort of thing that unconsciously is going on i might be consciously going it's a really unusual pattern in the bark, which is something I was looking at this morning. So that's a very conscious analysis and I hear the bird alarm call. And at the same time I'm discounting it because I can tell it's me stopping in the territory of a bird. So in that process is conscious analysis and subconscious checking of what's going on. If I couldn't have explained why that alarm was happening, I would have stopped the conscious and gone to a different type of analysis, which is who's, who's heading this way.
0: Hmm.
1: A little bit of both going on at the same time. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Um, do you mind telling people a little bit, uh, we've mentioned a couple of your books. Do you mind telling people a little bit about your books and what's in them? And, uh, I notice you have an online course now too, a little bit about that.
1: Yes. Thanks. Yes. My, my seventh book, the secret world of weather is coming out in, um, uh, it's May the 11th, uh, in the U S, um, and that, uh, like all of like all of my work, is sort of taking a perspective on outdoor signs. And and as the title suggests, that's that's sort of quite clear. If people are totally new to my work, um, I'd probably recommend the lost art of reading Nature's signs because it's a kind of uh, quite a quite a sort of broad, intense. You know, let's 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 see see what we can do here. Um, I've written how to read water, which you, if you have any interest, if you live by a body of water or, or particularly in any any water, than that. Uh, definitely one I'd recommend checking out. My first book, The Natural Navigator, is is quite strong on celestial stuff. I mean it's a good introduction to some of the the plant and animal signs as well, but it's I'd say it's probably this that and lost art of reading nature signs are very strong on Sun, Moon and Stars. Um thanks yeah the, the the online course has been a really pleasant surprise because I wasn't I didn't race into it. I thought you know my work is all about not not being on screens in a sense but I wouldn't say it's better than an outdoor course. And I teach a lot of indoor courses because celestial stuff and other things are easier to teach indoors. But one thing I think the online course does does really well. I'm really pleased with is it, it gives me a sense of leading people on the walk and then cutting to animated illustrations, which is which is quite hard to do brilliantly outdoors. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, the number of times I've scratched, you know, constellation shapes into into wet mud which is easier than dry mud um you know (laughs) i'm leading leading people on a on a walk it happened to be the three hottest days in the in our in our summer it was an amazing heat wave and then and then um and then it sort of cuts where necessary to to diagrams and illustrations and things like that so i'm really pleased with that and it's been a a big success and i'm very very grateful because it's allowed me to keep getting the word out there and keep doing what i do so yeah that's been um, been a one of the one of the few positives in a in a tough year.
0: Yeah. And you normally run in person courses then instead?
1: Yes. Uh although I'm I'm sort of really honest that it's a bit of a bottleneck. I want more people to teach this and I try and support people where I can to teach this because I'm I'm as passionate about yeah. the subject, you know, um as anything I'm doing. So so there's there's one of me. I can never teach more than twenty people in one go. So that's the wonderful thing about the books, actually, is is that, you know, the books have been read by millions now and and been translated in languages all over the world, which is which is really nice for me in terms of, you know, obviously my my sort of job and income, but also getting getting the word out there. So and the online course, there's no bottleneck there. In-person courses, you know, sometimes, if I'm honest, it takes people years to to. Um, I mean geographically I'm I'm based in the UK and probably 90% of the courses I do are in southern England so that's that's another sort of challenge but I I really like in-person courses because you can see in people's eyes the things that register so sometimes I'll, I'll have learned something new and I'm not sure whether to write about it or whether just to keep it as my own my own little thing and if I'm if I'm leaving a course outdoors I might drop it in in amongst all the more sort of tried and tested stuff and I'm watching people's eyes and you, they either light up or they don't and if they if they light up it tends to find its way into a book so that's quite fun part of my research and development
0: yeah that's awesome and your website is naturalnavigator.com um can you tell people where to find you on social media and things like that i, I enjoy your uh because you often post pictures and just ask which direction am i looking mm-hmm. and I, I enjoy the the
1: quiz so where where can people go to find your quizzes that's proved really popular in lockdown, but I was doing it before and it was popular then, but it's really sort of caught the, caught the sort of mood, I think of uh, people not wanting to lose any, any experiences in, in lockdown. So yes, I'm on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook uh, and LinkedIn, actually. Um, I'll probably get the addresses wrong. It's either the natural navigator or natural nav, depending which I think it's natural nav on Twitter, the natural navigator on Instagram and, and Facebook and yeah, whichever is, is your kind of flavor. I am. Um, I post a mixture of observations, quizzes, uh, news about events or books, and things like that, uh, and courses. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I I I actually enjoy social media. Again, it's another of those things I was a bit tentative about a few years ago, but now it's it's brilliant in a global sense. Yeah, loads and loads of people in the states have have, have you know come across you know the, the strange world of my work, and uh, and and that's you know quite often through social media. So yeah, it's it's been fun.
0: Yeah like I said, I really enjoy the quizzes cause it, it gets me thinking and a lot of them, it'll, it'll be like, okay, I see the reflection in the puddle. We're either looking, you know, the tree reflection is going that way. We're either looking North or South, but then trying to figure out which one it is. I'm like, well now at this point, I'm not sure whether I'm looking North or South. I know it's one or the other. And if I was there, it would be pretty obvious. Yes. Yes, Where I'm absolutely. not there and I'm looking at a picture, it, it makes it more difficult. And I'm having to look for signs that I'm, I'm not used to looking at. Um, and, yeah,
1: and that, it's, it's, it's fun. that in a nutshell is is i think why um this natural navigation it, you know works for a lot of people as a as a type of engagement because it, it tickles our brain our brain yeah. has you know we are slower weaker and with weaker senses than an awful lot of the animals in the animal kingdom and yet we do well because our brain's pretty powerful and part of that is 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 solving mysteries and deductive thinking which you know the the animals don't don't Do a huge amount of so, I think that's why this kind of puzzle thing works. You know, which way am I looking is is just the (laughs) it's the gateway drug if you like to to natural navigation. And in those images, I'm I'm deliberately there's there's normally a primary clue, sometimes two or three. But as you say, it's screening out a lot of things as well. So if you're there, you it it is it's often easier than than in the image. But that's that's part of the fun.
0: That is definitely is real fast before closing down. Thanks, thanks once again for taking the time to chat with me, Tristan. Really appreciate, really appreciate it. Before we go, can you just an example of one of the more unusual, or I don't want to say interesting, Well yeah, one of one of the more unusual or odder ways to navigate that you've come across?
1: Oh, that's a that's a that's a fun one. There, there are so many. I'd go for just off the the top of my head um, because I'm I I've been focusing a lot on 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 sort of weather clues. Um, recently I, uh, quite a, quite a sort of fun one is, is, um, getting to know if if you live in a mixed landscape, uh, you can, you can pick up seasonal weather changes by smell. So there's, there's someone I know who lives Southwest of a, of a power station and they know that they smell the power station before it snows every single time. Uh, and smell, yeah. is, 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 you know, whenever we get northeasterlies here in, in in the winter months, it's it's normally a, a snow sign for us. Um, you know, particularly if it's coming coming in off the continent. It's slightly different in every part of the world, but the, the again, the principle's is the same. So, so yeah, that that's a fun one. You you know, that's that's a weather clue in one sense, but it's still part of your map because if you're your map and compass, because if you're using the wind to find your way, and the smells change, then your whole whole map has just has just spun around so your your map has changed and the weather's about to change uh all in what you've just smelled yeah that's cool i don't think
0: i would have thought about uh smells well there you have it folks thanks again for listening i know i really enjoy tristan's outlook and uh this episode in general got me thinking and I'm really going to be evaluating the landscape around me over the upcoming little while. So, hopefully, it does the same for you. Um, anyways, yeah, I hope you guys are getting some outside time and you guys can start paying attention to the landscape around you and, and put some of it to use. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and hit me up. I'd love to hear about it. Um, and also, toss me guest and topic suggestions. Uh, I'm always open to new ideas. I know I have a couple suggestions from folks already. I'm going to be reaching out to a few more individuals over the next little bit and see if any of those uh, folks suggested would be willing to come on and chat. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get out there and make something.